Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Keys to Your Best Life. I'm your host, Maggie Cavanaugh, and I have someone today who I absolutely love. I have Michelle Moore here today with me, and she is an amazing speaker, author, uh, entrepreneur, businesswoman, tons of awards, amazing uh, spokesperson for freedom and kingdom living. And I am just so honored. If you want to know more about her, I want you to go check out her bio. It's listed in the chat stream. But for this morning, for the sake of time, we want to hit the ground running because she's got some nuggets of truth and keys to share with us on being able to keep our eyes on Jesus. So, Michelle, welcome to the broadcast. Well, hi, Maggie. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I am honored that you would take the time out of your busy schedule to join us today to infuse some hopes in people out there. <laughs> so many people are stressed out and, you know, they're looking all around for answers and, and so forth. And it just, it, it's, it's waiting. And, you know, we say that we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus, but, you know, we fix our eyes on Jesus and then it's like, to the news channel or to what's going on at his school or, you know, we're just back and forth and so forth. And we know the scriptures tell us that a double minded man is unstable in all their ways. And it's time and season for us to be really stable in the truths of God's word. And I know you got some nuggets for us today. Yes. Well, the big thing that we're going to talk about is keeping your eyes on Jesus, no matter what circumstances you see. Right. And That's so uh, the Lord put on my heart to share a personal story. And so um, some of you know me and those of you that know a little bit about me may know that my son, Carson, I'm a mom. Of, I'm a boy mom. I have two boys. Mm -hmm. And so uh, my younger son, uh, Carson, uh, four and a, a little bit over four years ago, accidentally shot himself with a 12 gauge shotgun in my bedroom. And so uh, long story short, uh, while Carson was in the hospital for a month, uh, I was in the Vanderbilt Children's uh, Hospital with him. And uh, one day, uh, and, it, and it really was kind of, and it was almost immediately, it was early on within a day or two, I started thinking about and hearing kind of like, and being put on my heart, like, well, how do people do it? You know, I was walking up and down the hall or whatever, back and forth to Carson's room, maybe to go and meet someone at an ele elevator that was visiting or whatever it might be, or to walk them out. And I'd be walking back and I would notice, I kept noticing different people, different children, and uh, even one child who had a police officer that um, was security guard or whatever that sat 24 seven outside of his door. I don't know what the situation was. And but, you know, you would just see things. And I remember seeing the little girl who had a room next to Carson's room and she was always in there by herself. And uh, Carson was being, you know, showered with all of these uh, gifts and everything. And so, you know, I remember us taking over a um, uh, a gift to her one morning and you know, just felt heavy on my heart. It was kind of like, well, how do these parents do it? How do these people do it? Because I knew that not everybody knows God. Right. right. And so I just thought, gosh, I can barely breathe God. Like I can barely do this. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't imagine being able to do this without you. And God, you know, one of the things that we always hear people say is, well, God doesn't give you more than, you know, what you can handle. And so what that's really a lie of the enemy. Okay. And so, uh, but it was so good because I think I believed that for so many years and what God revealed to me after a couple of days and me just asking God and crying out to God for these people and just like, well, I know that these, some of these people are non-believers, God, and how in the world could they ever do it? And God said, you can't do anything without me. 
but with me, you can handle anything. Yes. And so it was like, cause you know, and so it was like, okay, we think in our own will and in our own strength, we can handle something. And there were days I wasn't really sure I was going to even live much less, you know, of course, Carson too, but in the beginning, but there were days where it felt like I could die right then. I just hurt with so much pain. And I knew that it was, you know, all I could do to put my, you know, keep my eyes focused on God, keep my eyes focused on him and put my trust in him. I had had a warning dream five days before Carson's accident. Mm -hmm. And um, the what God told me, the interpretation to the dream was, is that all you have to do is call on me, say my name and I will fight your battles for you. Mm -hmm. And so when Carson was in six hours of surgery after the accident. I remember sitting in the emergency room or in the waiting room and people were showing up from, you know, church, the school system. I mean, just anybody and everybody. There was about 50 people that showed up that night mm -hmm. and which was pretty amazing because I only told two people. <laughs> but anyways, but it was on the news and different people figured it out because they told our address and showed our mailbox. But uh, anyways, and so what happened is uh, later, about a year later, my pastor said, yeah, you know, you were unusually calm that night. And I said, oh, really? You think so? And um, he said, oh, yeah. And I said, well, how do most people behave in something, you know, like that? And he said, well, you just never know. He said, what you're going to walk into when I've gone to the hospital many times, different circumstances, and you just never know what to expect. And so I thought back on that and I know why I was unusually calm. All I kept thinking about was that dream and that interpretation just mm -hmm. running over in my mind over and over. And then a vision I had had an hour before the accident that God gave me a word and revealed to me that an attack was coming. And I thought, mm -hmm. you know, um, and he was showing me about the dream at the very end. There was this huge snake that was just jet black that looked like it had come from the Amazon forest, like huge. Mm -hmm. And it was focused on me and it was coming toward me and I woke up. And so God revealed to me that that was um, an attack and that it was coming. And I remember fear just ripping through my body as I stood at the island in my kitchen. And I remember thinking, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. And then I thought, well, I'm not going to do this. You know, I just kind of shook it off. And I remember shaking my head left to right. And I was like, I'll never, you know, this could be two weeks, two months, two years from now. Like I would never, you know, be able to guess it anyways, because I've learned I'll never, you know, you can't try and figure out things like that, mm -hmm. of course. And so, you know, little did I know I was an hour away. Um, but, but what I learned also in all of that, you know, I mean, it's probably the most traumatic thing that a mother could go through is I came this close to losing my child mm -hmm. and without losing them. Like my counselor said, you know, we got some Christian counseling after the accident and we got home. But I came this close. She said, you came as close as you could possibly come without losing your child. And so that's when your faith is really tested and you say, OK, so now today we have these times that maybe it's not a cancer diagnosis. Maybe you haven't gotten COVID. Maybe your son or daughter hasn't been shot, but that doesn't mean that you aren't going through something really big too right now. Maybe you've lost your job. Maybe you're one of the over 10 million people right now that currently still are unemployed. Um, maybe you're concerned about how you're going to move forward. Maybe you're having issues with breathing with a mask on, whatever it is. And so let me just say, you know, um, I, I learned the biggest thing was it's about that 
that faith that you have, it only takes a little. It just takes the littlest little bit. When that's why we talk about in the in the scripture how it talks about you just only have the the faith the size of a mustard seed. And so you just have to keep your eyes on God. And one of the things that I do is I keep my eyes on the scriptures. And I really am diligent about what I let in my world, who I let in my world. Uh, I am very um, uh, mindful about healthy boundaries um, because I have, you know, a history of different things going on with family and just some very unhealthy situations. And so through the years, I have learned about setting healthy boundaries and um, and no one is going to you know set those healthy boundaries for you. You have to do it yourself. And so I've surrounded myself with these unbelievable, great, you know, Christian friends that uh, can speak to me and uh, cover me in prayer, and also can be a place to to run to if I'm doubting something or I need good, godly, sound advice. And so I have those few good friends because if you're not careful, you know, their craziness, if you have crazy friends and family that you spend a lot of time around, their drama, it's kind of, I love that saying, not my circus, not my monkeys or something like that. I love that because that's, that's right. Like don't borrow trouble. I've got, I've got people that I know through the years that have said, Oh, well, what about this? And what about that? And I just don't entertain fear as much as possible. And it's very hard, but I certainly don't go borrowing trouble is what I call it when I start thinking of all the things that could go wrong. And so it's so easy to fall into that trap and we got to be diligent to not let that happen. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. That that right there, boy, I'll tell you, that is some encouraging stuff because you're right. Um, you know, and people I think a lot of times when they make the quote, um, he won't put you under more than you can bear. They're referring to first Corinthians about the temptation yeah. and him making a way of escape. But whenever you're going through the thick of it, it's kind of like, we have to be reliant on him. We yes. can, apart from him, the Bible says apart from him, we are nothing. That's and right. that's why we need him so bad. And I love, I love that quote as well. Not my circus, not my monkey. Because <laughs> it is so easy to get drawn in to the dramas and stuff. Yeah. And to be honest, it's a distraction. To keep well, our or, eyes off of Jesus. Yeah, and I think and it, it's definitely a distraction. What a great point. But I think also it's just that um, and we can sometimes do it to ourselves is my point. Oh, like yeah. borrowing trouble, yeah. you know, uh, well, this could happen and that could happen. Well, let's just wait and see what happens. You know, <laughs> like I understand sometimes you have to be prepared for, you know, whatever might come up. I get that. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about where people just start coming up and dreaming up all these issues or things and scenarios that could happen. And it's kind of like. Okay, where'd you get that from this? And, you know, and so um, uh, I think, you know, I, I, one of the things I've really been thinking a lot about the last six months, when this is so true, and it's about just happiness and joy is a choice, you know? Um, there's always going to be something you can be upset about. There's always going to be something right. you can be mad about. There's always something you could be offended about. There are people that walk around in the spirit of offense, right? And so, you know, I just try to keep my distance from them. And I happen to be related to some of them as well. <laughs> and so I just said, you know, what if you're going to be offended all the time it won't matter what I do or say you're just going to be offended That's and right. so you know so I mean I've had some unbelievable situation where people are just upset about some of the craziest things you would ever think but that is really the enemy at work and sure. so but you know you think okay well one of the things I've really been paying attention to is also is how the enemy can use anybody you can use anything and anybody mm -hmm. right yeah. And so you got to be careful because a lot of people let the enemy use them. 
Oh, yeah. And so on a daily basis. And so that has been a really big thing for me recently is recognizing that even sometimes well-intentioned people, you know, so that's why um, also what does the Bible say about not um, what is it about? Uh, don't cast. What is it about? Don't, don't cast your pearls before swine. Yes. Don't cast your pearls before swine. Thank you. I could not remember. And so, yeah, don't cast your pearls before swine. And that means a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. you have to be very careful and um, and discerning about who it is that you should speak to. And sometimes and I know that I can be guilty of this at times where I'm such a people person. and I want to be I want to talk to my friend or this or that about whatever's going on. And really, when we need to be careful not to be running to other people or looking to other things, but make sure that we're turning to God yeah. and asking God. And so, you know, about a situation. And so um, so that's always good, too. You know, we got to make sure that we're turning to him. And so, you know, it's interesting um, because I think it's so easy. It's like a slippery slope. Right. Where it's easy for us to um, to what I have noticed, especially through this COVID thing, is it's easy to let fear in before you even even realize or know what you're doing. Right. And so um, so you have to be diligent and, um, and and make sure that you're guarding your heart. And, um, you know, uh, I wrote down a couple of scriptures today that uh, came to mind and, and I wanted to share them. So John 14, one says, you know, let not your heart be troubled. And um, that's such a great scripture because I think, you know, above all, we got to guard our heart. Right. That's what Proverbs talks about. So, you know, I think it's yeah. Proverbs 423 says above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. And we have to remember that we've got to guard our heart. Sometimes we can let our guard down and just a little bit of fear comes in and that's all it takes. It's just, I, I kind of liken that. I see an image now of just what an image I always see of the, you know, uh, the, how we, how we know that the enemy, all he needs is a pinky toe foothold. Right. And so it's just that little bit, it's just that little bit and that little bit before you know it, it just grows into something just insane. And let me just say about that too, by the way, while we're on that. So, you know, you don't kind of sin. Okay. Right. So you got to make sure. <laughs> okay, so we're talking about lies that the world will tell you. Um, so you don't kind of sin. So I'm going to ask you a question. Okay, so if you had a big gallon bucket of the, you know, freshly distilled, the most purest form of water you could get, and I put a drop, just one little drop of Clorox bleach in it, are you going to want to drink it, Maggie? Not at all. Mm -mm. No so way. look, uh, the bottom line is, you know, we have to be diligent because something that seems like not such, such a big deal or it's a little white lie or it's OK. I, one of the things God's been talking to me a lot about, and you may have seen this post that I posted about, is that, um, you know, um, if God's not in it. Then it's evil. Ooh. OK, it's evil because we got to think about where does the word say you kind of. Well, it's a little white lie. You kind of sinned. Did Jesus right. kind of die on the cross for you? You know, mm -hmm. we the word is black or white. And I hate to say it, but God is not a God of shades of gray. And as right. much as our pastors or people want to water things down so that it's palpable and that you can take it, and not get mad and take your time money with you and whatever else. Now, I'm really preach it. Um, <laughs> so, you know, I'm just saying you know, we need to be real about this and we need to be real about what is genuinely good and what yes. is genuinely evil. And so we have to be, um, you know, God is so pure 
and he is light and he is love. He is love. That's who he is. And so he's not kind of love. That's right. We need to, uh, well, you know, I mean, why don't you get out your black Sharpie marker today and, um, you know, class today for an hour. What we're going to do is just go through the scriptures and you just, you know, black out the scriptures you don't want to follow. How about we do that? You know, no. No. It doesn't work that way. You're not kind of a Christian. You're not kind of a believer. You don't kind of tell the truth and you don't kind of sin. And so when we let that little bit of sin come in, then we've got to be uh, aware that that is a slippery slope. That's the pinky toe foothold that the enemy wants. I love that pinky toe foothold. I've never heard that. I want to piggyback real quick while I'm thinking about it, because it reminds me of a story uh, of a, a father where his two sons come in from playing and they're like, the neighbors are going to see this movie and can we go? And the dad says, well, does it have any sex or violence or language? And they said, well, just, just a little bit, you know? And he's like, no, you can't go. And they're like, but dad, everybody's going. Everybody at school's seen it. You know, there's just a teeny bit. It's just a tiny bit. Come on, let me go. And he, they get mad. They storm off upstairs and dad proceeds to make some brownies. So the aroma of the brownies is coming up through the house and they smell it. And they're like, they're not mad at dad anymore. And they start to come downstairs. But dad had gone out to the yard to add a special ingredient. Uh-huh. He sets the brownies before the two young uh, teen, tweens. And he says to them, do you guys want a brownie? And they're like, heck yeah, they're ready to tear it up. And he says, but wait, there's something you need to know about the brownies. And they said, well, what is it? And he says, well, it's got, you know, flour and eggs and chocolate and all of this stuff. And he goes, but is that just a, a, a little bit of dog crap in it? And I said, what? Ew, oh, that's so disgusting. And they're like, why did you do that? And he said, oh, it's just a little bit. You know, nobody yeah. mind because nobody really cares. You know, what? Yeah. go ahead and eat the brownies. And I, that always stuck out to me because the Bible says it's a little leaven that spoils a whole lot. And so we have got to be careful what we allow in. So this is such a great point. And I'm so glad that you're talking about this because when yeah. we take the scriptures, that listen, we want the whole thing, the whole tamale, but there is so much extracted from it these days. And you're right. We cannot pencil out what does not agree with us. We didn't say it. God said it. And if we love God, right. the Bible says, if you love me, you'll obey me. So I'm sorry. I'll get on my preach there. But that was perfect. <laughs> Thank you. So go on, with Michelle. <laughs> That's so good. But it's true. And so, true. you know, and so the reason why I bring this up, though, is because it can start you know, once that pinky toe foothold, look, I have seen families be completely destroyed yeah, over yeah. just that little something. That's right. And so what we have to do is we have to be diligent about protecting, diligent about protecting our children, about protecting our ears, our eyes, our mouth, our heart. We have to be diligent about those things. And so that that way, when um, we do have fear that comes in, we're already right with God. And yeah. what I mean with that is if you're busy sinning, then when are you going to be repenting? And wow. so, you know, you got to be repented up is what I call it <laughs> to myself. I say, you know, I need to make sure that I'm mindful about whatever I need to be repenting about, because that way, when I am needing to go to God, I am in I'm, you know, repented up 
right? right. People could talk about being prayed up. I'm talking about being repented of and making sure that I'm able to come to him and um, from a rightful position, not just only as his daughter, but of somebody who, yes, we're all sinners, but we also need to uh, be mindful of where we fall short and and ask God for forgiveness and repent for that. And then um, we're able to go to him and say, because I, you know, I think the thing is, is um, it's this, there was a a years ago, I'm reminded of, um, Years ago, uh, I was teaching a class at church on leadership and uh, I was on my way home and God gave me a vision and uh, it was a six lane highway, kind of like Atlanta, like six or eight lane. And actually, I think it was an eight lane highway. And um, what God showed me is of the eight lanes, um, there was only one lane that was the lane that he had for people. Okay, And so but what happens is that people a lot of times want to do their own thing. They want to make their own choices and they go in a different lane and they make those. They, they, you know, when you change lanes, you don't accidentally change lanes like you put your turn signal on and you ease on over. And what God said was, but the interesting thing is, you know, my my um, my favor, my grace, my glory, everything is in my is in the lane that I have for you. And so it's so interesting because what happens and he was just showing me this wasn't even about me at the time. It was it was just um, some people that had come to me and had some problems and I was advising them and giving them some advice. And and so but he was showing me about how it was such a great word, too. And it was like, but, you know, somehow people so many people want to get in their own lane, but then complain that he doesn't bless it. You know, and then what, and then what happened was he gave me this download of how I've always said that, you know, for my kids that I wanted them to go to college. And so he showed me like, well, that's like saying that, you know, if your kids go to college, you know, are you going to uh, feed them and cook for them and give them a free room and board versus if they were because that's the lane you know, that you want them to be in. And if you are, if you're so passionate about your kids going and, you know, to college and getting a degree, then what, what kind of favor are you going to give them? And then he showed me, he was like, you'll pay this bill and you'll help them. But if they don't go to college, what are you, what are your plans? And he, and I knew, I knew he knew that in my mind, I thought, well, they're going to get a job and they're not going to be living at home. And if they are living at home, they're paying me rent. You know, because I'm not going to make it easy for them because they're not in the lane that I think they should be in. Now, of course, I've changed my mind since then. And I have some and I can we can. That's a whole nother conversation. But but back then this spoke to me. okay, and it was so true. It was like, okay, we want to be. It is so true. Like how many of us wanted to be in our own lane and then be like, well, God, why aren't you blessing this? I don't understand, you know. So anyways, but um. But when we are in that position, you know, one of the things that I really wanted to share with you that I've learned is how to recognize the fear that comes up. And so and also, you know, when when we're staying in that lane and we're right, you know, we're we're able to be uh, we have repented. We're mindful of repenting because, you know, you can't be repenting and thinking about sin or being in the middle of sin. Right. And so you got to do one or the other. And when COVID started, all this started, I remember I heard God say, repent. And I have heard more people talking about repentance in the last six, seven, eight months than I have ever, ever heard. <laughs> Would you say? Glory. <laughs> yeah. I have heard it though so many places, so many ways, so many times. I'm like, this is so good, y'all. 
because we do need to be going to God. We do need to be repenting and changing our ways and putting our, our feet on the right path. And then uh, as, as uh, fear comes in, and this is one of the things that I've been able to really recognize and kind of get in a good system that I want to share. My no fail way um, is uh, of stamping out fear, no matter your circumstances, is that I've gotten really good at recognizing when I start to feel fearful um, and or even just um even sometimes angry or upset about something. I think we've all kind of experienced that, right, Maggie? <laughs> it's like, I can't believe this is going on or, oh no, you know, discouraged, whatever it is. And, and again, it's that, it can be that landslide. So what we want to do is we want to be careful. And so what I'll do is I'll just stop and I'll just say, okay. So I'm, I recognize that I'm having fear is step one. Step two is stopping and start and, and then go, okay, well, am I fearful? What's going on here? What am I afraid of? Blah, blah, blah. The number three is I start praying. Mm -hmm. And um, and the first thing I do when I start praying and Maggie, you did this before we started. Even today, I kind of chuckled to myself uh, because we, we prayed for those of you watching. We prayed before we started recording the show and Maggie was praying. And uh, but the first thing she did was start talking to God about God and about his promises and who he is and how we're grateful for that. And that is exactly how you come to God. You come to God grateful. Think about if you're a parent, um, what it would be like if your child only came and talked to you about something they wanted. And so, um, so you know, instead of giving you a compliment or saying how much I love you and thank you. And, and so I do. And what I do is I say things that I know that are in the word. And I say, God, I just thank you right now that I can I can count on you and that, you know, you keep your promises. You are a promise keeper and that you are always good and that I can always count on all good things coming from you, Lord. And Lord, I I just thank you right now that I know that you already know what worries me or what concerns me. And I just, I so appreciate that what concerns me concerns you because it concerns yes. me. And so Lord, I just thank you right now that the hairs on my head are numbered. Not just that you know how many hairs that are on my head, but you know which one is number 42 and which one is number 44 <laughs> and which one is number 46. And you know, you actually, they're numbered. And I don't know if people understand that. Like he knows which hair is which number. <laughs> and so that's how much you mean to him. And God, I've just been so thankful that I'm the apple of your eye. And God, I'm so thankful for your son who hung on the cross. And I don't know about you, but you can say about 10 things like that. And that can start flowing. And you feel like the world has been lifted from your shoulders. Yeah. Entering in. Yes. And so that's that's the first thing is I turn to God. And so, again, you recognize that, oh, I'm getting fearful. I'm falling into the trap. That's the big thing. It's step number one for a reason. You've got to recognize. Right. That's right. <laughs> and so, and you got to stop and you got to say, OK, what is going on here? And OK, I'm being fearful. This is what I'm being fearful about. This is OK. I need to give this to God. I need to turn to God and I need to pray. And so mm -hmm. step three is praying. And um, and when you pray, you begin with gratitude. That's right. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yeah. So good. Right. It's so good. <laughs> Gratefulness and thankfulness will carry us through so much. And and that, those are such good steps, because usually what happens is, is step one, we recognize it. And instead of going on to step two of processing it, we're like, Oh my gosh, let me call so-and-so and let me talk about it. Let me think about it and let me go on and on and on. And we build it up to this big thing. And before we even consider, you know, taking it to God, 
You know, I love what I think Miss Joyce Myers said years ago, take it, you know, go to the throne, not the phone, you know, and we're not saying that you do not want to talk to trusted, like-minded, safe place people in your life. We do yeah. want you to do that. But man, running to God is, is the first thing that we should, you know, as soon as we recognize it, run into the father. He's yeah. a solution maker. He is the way maker. You know, he is faithful and, and just in everything he does. But yet sometimes it's I think the reason that people don't do that is because they're not repented of. They're not. That's repented good. Of. That's good. Because, you know, when they go, they're like they're going with their shame and their guilt and their condemnation. And when we are walking, I love that you mentioned that, because I remember when I was a baby Christian, I was told that the majority of my walk with the Lord next to getting close to him, knowing who he is, getting in his word is the repentance walk. And so, I mean, I'll repent for things that, you know, I'm like, as you got to do as soon as that thought comes, take it captive and repent right there. Don't be like, you know, at the end of the day, Lord, I'm sorry that I just really kept an attitude with this person, you know, or I was just so irritated with the person at the store or or my spouse or whatever. I mean, we've got to immediately recognize that. And so those steps that you gave, those are life changing. Oh, life -changing. yeah. And yeah. And and um, I love that about, you know, go to the throne, not the phone. But I think that what happens also is that a lot, I think I suspect just like with grace, um, I believe there are countless Christians that may one day. I hate to say it, but one day die never understanding about repentance, just like mm -hmm. I think there are countless Christians that don't understand grace. Right. And so, um, and I learned about grace. God really showed me about gratitude, grace, and mercy when He also showed me about forgiveness. So, my parents abandoned me as a child, you know, and I went through a process of forgiving my parents for abandoning me as a child. And and I now write, speak, and teach on how forgiving them changed my life. But when God took me down that path, led me down that path of forgiveness is what I call it. And, um, you know, there were some, as I went journey down that path, there were some different things I had to learn before I could forgive. And one of them was gratitude. One of them was grace. And then the other one was mercy. And then the fourth thing was forgiveness. And one time God gave me a vision. This was, you know, a few years later, and it was a vision of what I would call a breakfast nook table. So it was a rectangular table. There were no chairs at the table. It was just a table. And he showed me, he said, you know, um, uh, forgiveness, there's four legs and of the table to a table. And so, and he showed me each leg represented, you know, something different. One was gratitude. One was grace. One was mercy and one was forgiveness. And what he showed me, and I was really the table, I think is really what it was, mm -hmm. but I had these four different legs, right? And so what he said was when one leg is shorter than the others, what happens? They're not able to fulfill mm -hmm. its purpose. Wow. And so, because it's wobbly or it might be completely missing. What if you don't know anything about grace? You're like, oh, I'm thankful for God. And, you know, I can show mercy and blah, blah, blah. And you understand about forgiveness. But but it doesn't mean that you can really walk that out. And so that forgiveness, unforgiveness is between you and God. And so you have to, you know, even in the Bible, it's the only thing that says don't even give your tithe. 
you know, to the church. If there is something that, you know, is going on between you and someone else that you haven't forgiven for. So it's the only place in the Bible that he says that, right? Right, And so then you go and make things right. Then you come back and then you give your tithe to the church. And so, so anyways, and so I just want to share with you, like, you know, we, we, um, we have to be diligent in the repentance and the churches are not, I don't, not from what I've seen, they're not teaching that. And so uh, we have to be really careful because, that is part of forgiveness too, by the way. I did a big um, study on forgiving. And one of the things that, you know, when I was in that process and writing about it and everything was that I learned about the importance of repentance. And so, because we ourselves need to be forgiven. And so, you know, so anyways, and so in that process is through repenting, coming to God, coming to his feet, and say and laying it at the feet of Jesus and saying, God, please forgive me for, you know, X, Y, Z. And like you said, don't wait till the end of the day and hope you remember. Do it right then. I was I was reading something yesterday. It's really funny, Maggie, that you say that because I read something yesterday I'd never read before. And it was and they were talking about instant repentance. <laughs> and so exactly. but that was so good. And it's exactly what you're talking about. It's like, well, you're either you're either sorry or you're not, and you're either gonna repent or you're not. And I know one thing, I cannot rely on my memory to do it tonight at nine o'clock. And so, um, and, and it's just like, well, Maggie, um, I hurt your feelings. You tell me that you hurt your feelings or that I hurt your feelings. Am I going to be like, well, Hey, look, I do my apologies at nine o'clock. So (laughs) Maggie, I'll call you tonight at about nine o'clock or expect a text message from me around about nine Oh three, nine Oh four. Okay. I'm going to add you to the list. I'm not sorry right now, but I'm going to, I'm going to be sorry at nine o'clock tonight. We're going to schedule that in. Okay, girl, it is the fast food restaurant method. You know, we how you pull up to the window and you pay the person by the time you're paying them, by the time you pick up your stuff, you need to have processed it, repented and got it right and move on. So so I love your analogy of the lanes because I wrote an entire book about about roads, dead end roads that lead to glorious highway, talking about everything Uh from country roads to highways to uh, roundabouts and all of that, because God speaks to me through roads roads and 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 streets and with vehicles and so when you said that i was like that is so cool it reminds me of the saying that the young people say stay in your lane that's right that's right i say it too i must be young but yeah you gotta stay in your lane um and so uh but that's so important and so i just love that but yeah and it's like okay we but we do it we know and we know everybody else does it too where we get out of that lane in knowingly willingly you know, and somehow and sometimes accidentally where we 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 weren't really thinking. I've had some times where I've done something oh, yeah. and I had the best of intentions. But the point is, you realize you're in the wrong lane. You need to get on over back into the right lane. And so but, you know, but what his point was in that message to me was about how, you know, people uh, we want to do our own thing and then still expect God to bless it. And Ooh, it's just that's, not gonna happen. that's not that where his blessings and his favor is, you know, right. They, they, that's cause we got to think about that too. Um, there are many times that I have made deals with God and said, okay, I'm going to write this book. <laughs> and so this was, this is what I did. I said, I said, I pounded my fists on the Island in my home. And I said, all right, God, all right. <laughs> I was home by myself and I was making a fool of myself just so y'all know. And I was like, all right, I'll do it. <laughs> I was not happy about it apparently. And so I said, I'll write the book. And I thought at the time it was just going to be one book. And so I said, um, I'll write the book. But I asked for two things, two things from you. And I asked, I said, God, that you will make your 
um, will perfectly known to me that I will just know that I know that I know without a shadow of a doubt what you want me to do. I said, and then the second thing is I ask that you open doors that only you can open and you give me favor that only you could give me. And I said, that's the only two things I ask. And I have, and he's, he's kept that into the deal. It's been amazing. I mean, I literally missed a phone call from a publisher who heard my story and wanted to offer me a book deal. <laughs> People call me, they're like, hey, how do you write proposals? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> I've never written one. And they'll be like, well, I thought you had a book deal. And I'm like, I do, but I've never done a book proposal. <laughs> and everybody I talked to that's ever had a book deal, guess what? They wrote a book proposal and sent it out to 30 different publishers, you know, and got turned down 30 different times. Michael Hyatt's story is that. That way even yes so we we you know that's a very unusual thing I didn't know that at the time but what I learned and because I was like okay now what now so you heard what now and you want to do what and so but you know they were like yeah we heard about the 20 of your story the 20 different stories from the 20 different women of God crazy and we want to offer six of you books uh, book deals and we're calling you first <laughs> and so I was first out of 20 like it's crazy and so, but that's how God works. And so, um, and you know, then the book got put into bookstores and all that kind of stuff, but that's just <laughs> God, you know? And so, um, but, but, uh, I just want to encourage everyone, no matter what things look like in the natural, no matter what anything looks like in the natural, don't trust your eyes. You got to trust God. And yes. so, um, so anyways, and so I hope that helps. Yes, yes. And that actually is the key because I always ask everybody for a key at the end of the show is to let them know, you know, what is it? And keeping your eyes fixed upon the Lord. I mean, it, it almost sounds like cliche is, you know, because we've heard it so many times, but it literally will change your world. It will yeah. It'll change your perspective. It'll give you the strength and energy and endurance. It'll give you the ability to have a greater sense of uh, sensitivity in the spirit for discernment and by keeping him foremost and first in your life. So I want you guys to check out Michelle. I want you to go to her page, like her page, go to her website, buy her books. Oh my gosh. Amazing stories. I have absolutely loved over the years, uh, the different facets of Michelle Moore because she can preach the paint off the wall, but yet also she can give you leadership tips and things to help you grow as your entrepreneurship. I absolutely love her. Michelle, I want to thank you again. And we're going to, we're going to have to do this again because you have so many great nuggets, so many things that can really encourage and inspire the viewers today. So I want y'all to get this out to your friends, family, coworkers, whoever you think needs a word of encouragement. Listen, write down those steps, go back and watch this again, get those steps that she gave you because they are life changing. Michelle, thank you again. Thank you so much, Maggie. And Hey, I've got a brand new podcast out. We yes, just released this episode. It's called God Stories. It's on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Excellent. Y'all go. I, I'm going to go check it out myself. Make sure you check it out. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Thanks, Maggie.